John and Abby uh, uh, met little Atticus this week, so very excited for them. If you have their number, be sure and text them and send them an encouraging word. I know they would enjoy that very much. Well, our trip through the Servant Songs reaches its climax this morning in Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. If you have your Bibles, you would be well to open up there this morning. As a review of what we've covered thus far, we've noted in Isaiah chapter 42 the silhouette of the servant. The silhouette of the servant. And we noted how in Isaiah 40 and 41, we note that the, that the nations are captivated by idols. Sadly, men and women from all over the world captivated by idols that often allured Israel, God's people, to be a holy people for his own possession. And we saw the image then, the silhouette of the servant, one so much better, so much greater, so much worthy of worship and life. And then we moved on to Isaiah 49, and we saw the success of the servant, that the servant will be successful in bringing salvation to the nations, to the seacoast, to the ends of the earth. And the salvation, likewise, will be successful to gather Israel to himself, to restore Israel one day yet future. Last week, Jonathan walked us through the stand of the servant as we begin to see that the fate of the servant will be one that will require endurance in his time. This morning, we now look at the suffering servant. The suffering servant. A text, though written 700 years before the Son would come and take on flesh and dwell among us, so clearly, so clearly points to Jesus that it's led a multitude of unbelievers to look at this objectively and say, this, this certainly must be talking about Jesus. This text overwhelmingly has been called by many the, one of the first gospel tracts given. Those 700 years beforehand, uh, Augustine looks and says, this, this is not a prophecy, this is a gospel. This is a text in which in Acts chapter 8, we read of the Spirit of God using this text to bring somebody from death to life. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading of this text by which we will study and look at this morning and hear from. And he's reading it. He's looking at this scroll and, he, and he's reading it and he doesn't know what's going on. The Holy Spirit of God leads Philip to him. And Philip asked him a question, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian honestly looks back at him and says, how can I know unless someone explains this to me? And the text says that Philip explained to him from this Scripture, Jesus. And friends, that's what we want to do this morning. Let me explain to you Jesus from Isaiah 53, the text of the suffering servant. The one by which we celebrate Advent, the coming, His coming. So this morning we're going to note from this text four attributes, four aspects of our servant, of the great servant who came and who is coming again. The great servant that if you know Him, you know forgiveness and you know life and you know salvation, just as the Ethiopian eunuch does. What a gift that the Lord gives us in this text. True reasons this morning to have hope and joy and peace and, and love that is ours in the servant, Jesus. So open with me, if you would, to your Bibles, to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. As we note first that the coming God-exalted servant, we celebrate the advent, the coming of the God-exalted servant. Verse 13 from the ESV, if you're following along in the Pewback Bible in front of you. 
Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance were so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Once again, this word behold, all through Isaiah, we note the Lord's address, behold. In Genesis chapter 1, behold, and all that the Lord made was good. Behold calls us as the reader, as the listener, to stop, to put our phones down, and to listen. What the Lord says here now at the beginning of this suffering servant text is, Behold, look to the one who has been lifted up. Behold, who is exalted. This term is used four times in Isaiah, and the other three times of being exalted, it's used of God. God is exalted. God is exalted. God is exalted. And here, the servant is exalted. Who is the servant to whom we worship that draws our attention? Is he just a man? Is he just a good teacher as many today in our culture would say? He is one exalted. He is God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Jesus is the God-exalted servant. He is Emmanuel. He is one to behold. One to behold. One to delight in, as we've seen. One who will stand. One who will endure. That's the servant. He's the one that marks our life. He is the God-exalted servant who will forever reign from the throne of David. He will be exalted, high, and lifted up. Philippians 2, 8-11, through Paul says it like this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Who do you say the servant is? Who do you say the servant is? The world chases and longs for peace and hope. And Sarah and I were looking at a picture at, at night sometimes. I don't know if, you're, if you've experienced this as a, as a parent or somebody who's taking care of kids or grandkids, but we'll run ourselves exhausted. And then at the end of the day, frustrated and tired, we'll look at pictures of our kids. And we're looking at this picture of Matthias who was in his, in his high seat and uh, he, he was uh, watching. We had him in front. We were kind of watching a little movie and he was eating chocolate. And his face was covered. His hands were covered. And he just had a look of bliss on his life. And I looked. I said, Sarah, he's going to be chasing that experience for the rest of his life. Joy and peace and hope and love there with his family. And yet in the servant, the one who is exalted high and lifted up, in this servant, we have true peace, eternal peace. We have true hope to stake our life. We know true love. 
sent from the Father, come in a manger, a weeping baby, who would live a sinless life, fulfilling all righteousness, would be high and exalted, yet after suffering would take place. The text says in verse 1, And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Let me read a couple texts here. Look at Isaiah 50, verse 2. Look back to Isaiah 50, verse 2. This hand arm language is used multiple times here in chapter 49 through 52. So I want to read it so we can make sure we, we can capture some of the significance here. Notice the arm and hand of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 2, Why when I came was there no man? Why when I called was there no one to answer? This is the Lord speaking. Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the river a desert. Their fish stink for water of, for lack of water and die of thirst. This power of the hand of the Lord. Look to Isaiah 51, verse 5. The Lord says, My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Who is this arm of the Lord? Look to Isaiah 52, verse 10, just a few verses before what we're reading now. Isaiah 52, verse 10. Lord has barred his holy arm before the eyes, bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So, who is the arm of the Lord? The arm of the Lord is the servant. The servant King Jesus is the arm of the Lord. He is high and exalted and lifted up. He changes everything. He's to change every component of our life, impacting every component and making us as a people marked by mercy. To be a people marked by mercy changes you. To be marked by mercy. To deserve something and yet to have that withheld from us. The mercy of the Lord. We're to be a people marked by the mercy of the Lord because of the servant. He is the deliverer. This is such good news for you and for me. Mercy marks us and mercy changes us. The pastor and missionary, Dr. William Carey, he got struck with illness. And near death, he was asked by one of the ones taking care of him, what would you like, what text would you like preached at your funeral service? Which is a pretty humble question to be asked. Here's what he replied. Oh, I feel that such a poor sinful creature as myself is unworthy to have anything said about him. But if a funeral sermon must be preached, let it be Psalm 51.1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And then upon his tombstone, he had in his will this to be engraved. William Carey, here lies a wretched, poor, and helpless worm. On thy kind arms I fall. 
on thy kind arms I fall. You and I fall on the kind arm of the Lord, who is the servant, who will be high and lifted up, exalted by the Lord. When life begins to shake and tremors hit, it is the arm of the Lord, the servant in whom we rest. He gives us hope, He gives us joy in all of life, and that is the good news of Advent. Secondly, we note and we celebrate the coming of the grief-bearing servant. He is the grief-bearing servant. Isaiah 53, 2-6. The coming of the grief-bearing servant. As I read for us verse 2-6, through six, I want you to note the first person plurals, the, the we's and the ours. Verse 2, for, we grew up, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. This is what our preschoolers were talking about last week. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. From God exalted servant now to the servant's humiliation and suffering. How wrong the people were. How wrong the multitudes were. I look at this text. We look at this text 700 years before the Messiah. We, we noted how yearning they, they looked for him to come again and again and again, generation, birth after birth after birth. And he comes. And part of me looks at it with judgment and say, do you know what you did to him? And But apart from the Spirit of God, if we were there, would we not have joined them? Would you not have joined them? The Christ came not with stunningness in his eyes. He was not gloriously beautiful, captivating to the masses that this is the King of Heaven. Why did God make him of such lowly means? Born of a virgin, one who would work with his hands. I think if we could recognize who he was, we would do what we naturally do with the highest of royalties. When the president travels, he doesn't have to worry about opening a single door, does he? Everything is taken care of in advance. A bride on her wedding day. is to be served. All her needs met. Cared for. Comforted. Encouraged. Celebrated. But the King of Heaven, the Eternal Son of God, He would come. That was like almost a perfectly timed baby noise. <laughs> now, truly, it is so good to have young ones in our service. It is a blessing. What a reminder that he would come of a baby. And the birth was not something that was just this. Everybody was quiet. I don't know if you've ever been in, around a birth, but it is traumatic. 
But that's, that's how the son would come. As a baby. It was him. And God's incredible sovereignty, our king would lay on him the iniquity of us all, that he would be despised and acquainted with grief. He would be pierced through for our transgressions of God's law. He would be crushed for our iniquities. He would bear the, the beating and wrath of God that should be upon us instead. He would be scourged so that his people might be healed. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look over to Leviticus chapter 16. In your pew Bible, that's page 95. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 20 through 22 we see here a foretaste. A foretaste of what Isaiah's listener would have been thinking of. Of this servant who will endure and he'll be exalted and lifted up. All of a sudden you get this suffering text. And Jonathan did a great job last week highlighting these nuggets that, that crossed over here as well. But we see this, this picture of the scapegoat and, and, the, and, the, scoat and, and the goat and, and all that will happen to these innocent creatures. And so too, that's what takes place with this baby who would grow and fulfill all righteousness in obedience to the Father. And Leviticus 16, 20-22 sounds very similar to what we just read in Isaiah 53, 2-6. And the Lord commanded the priest to do this and when he has made an end of atoning for the, the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay hold his hands on the head of the living goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a, of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on himself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. It was on Jesus that the wrath of God was absorbed for us. And it's on Jesus, like the scapegoat, that our guilt and our shame and our sin was taken away. The coming grief-bearing servant. He changes everything. As we grieve, Paul makes clear in 1 Thessalonians, we grieve uniquely with hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-14, brothers and sisters, do not... We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. My friends, we know a grief-bearing servant. We know a grief-bearing servant so we can take joy we have a hope of eternity, of life after the grave. The Gospel gives us a peace that nothing else can truly give. For we know the love of God in the servant, in Christ. One of the joys of being in a congregation, the Lord calls those as believers to congregate, to gather these assemblies. One of the joys of being in a congregation is, is that we see other brothers and sisters suffer. When I say that's a joy, what do I mean by that? The Lord works all things together for good. He shapes us into the image of Christ. And as you see other brothers and sisters around you who have lost loved ones or who have suffered illness and yet persevered and they're running after the Lord, it builds up and edifies the body in ways you cannot measure. 
when you see people press on and persevere in holiness, missing those who have, as he says, fallen asleep. The griefs that we feel at night. As a body, as we endure, we endure as we have a grief-bearing servant king who can identify in all of our struggles and all of our griefs. The day will come when He will wipe away every tear. And He is our hope. Advent, coming, is good news. Amen? We have a grief-bearing King. We give thanks for the God-exalted, grief-bearing, and thirdly, the grave-breaking servant. The coming of the grave-breaking servant. Picking up in verse 7 through 10 of Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The coming of the grave-breaking servant. He would assume a non-defensive, submissive posture in all of his life. That's our king. That's the suffering servant. He wouldn't kick like a mule. He wouldn't pout like a toddler. He would be faithful to the suffering that was before him. He would endure. That's the life that we have in Jesus. The servant who came. Now, Satan knew this. I think Satan knew this. So he tries to offer Jesus in Matthew 4 a kingdom apart from the cross. He tries to offer the servant a kingdom apart from the cross. But the servant knew why he had come. He knew why he had come. He, he says exactly that. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, raise again. Christ knew why he had come. But knowing why he had come did not make what the servant did easy, did it? To be the grave-breaking king means you must first go to the, the grave. Never miss this fact that the Lord knows His purpose. He knows why He had come. He knows He's sent of the Lord. He's on mission. But that does not mean the mission is easy. Few burdens are worse for a student, the knowing that a test is coming. A student that begins the semester knows exactly when the day of finals is from the very beginning. When I was a student on syllabus day, that was the only thing I think I listened to. I knew that day was coming, but it, it didn't make the task easier. Matter of fact, as time went by and I got closer to the realization that who I was and what I knew was going to be exposed became perhaps even more frightening. 
The servant who faced the greatest burden ever known to man would for the glory of God and the accomplishment of his mission look death in the eyes and bear the coldness of, his, of the grave. He was cut off from the land of the living for us in obedience to the Father. The Gospel and the good news because the grave-breaking King is to, my apologies for the pun, but to break into every component of our life. Every component of our life is those that rest in and abide in Christ and want to follow after Christ are to have the gospel, the good news, to have Jesus break into every part of it. Beginning in personally and therein in our homes, in our domains. Is the gospel, is Jesus, is the servant, is the beauty of the servant breaking into my home? What a question to ask ourselves this morning in this time of coming. I was talking to Bobby Austin, our, our student pastor. He does a great job. He said one of the most discouraging things uh, in, in being a minister, one of the joyful things is seeing students begin to understand the gospel. He said one of the most discouraging things can be when those students don't take the gospel home with them, when it doesn't impact how they relate to their parents, when they choose to dishonor their parents even though they, they, they claim now to know the servant, to know Jesus. And how, how similar is that for us, though, as adults, isn't it? To have the servant break into our homes as adults. To impact how we walk through our days, how we treat those we love, to, to impact our relationships and our responsibilities in every area. The grave-breaking servant is worthy of our lives, and, and this gives us gratitude and hope for all of our lives and all of our routines. We are to be a people marked with hope. This means we're different. You and I don't have to lobby for position in the world because our identity and our value is in the servant who broke out of the grave. By the power of the Spirit, this is our life. He is our life and our hope and our identity is in Him. But how quickly we need to remind ourselves of that every week, don't we? I am secure in Christ. The servant is my life. He suffered and died that I might not. That's good news. That's true hope and peace and joy in our lives. The servant was sent to make us righteous. So now the joy that I have as a believer to walk that out in my life, to rest in Him and to abide in Him and to serve Him and to be joyful in Him and to seek forgiveness and to walk in how He's adopted me now to live and to walk, and to walk and, and to live how the Lord has adopted you. And He's made us family in Jesus. The servant who broke from the grave, this us and the ours, it's not so I can do my own individual walk, but now also I'm, I do this walk with a body, with a congregation that loves me and cares for me and wants to hold me accountable in my walk with the Lord, to, to help each other walk together, to weep together, to celebrate together. That's the goodness of Advent. That's the goodness of the coming of Christ. That's our hope. By the Spirit, may we always aim to walk in the newness of life. Aren't you glad your identity is not in how the world judges identity? But your identity is received in the servant. Your identity is in the servant. Think about that. My identity is in the servant. 
Not in my business card. Not in my degree. My identity is in the servant. I am hidden in him. Remind ourselves of that regularly. Because I forget it quickly. We rejoice in the coming of the God-exalted, grief-bearing, grave-breaking, and fourthly, the great justifying servant. Oh, this is good news. The great justifying servant. The coming great justifying servant. He has come. And He will come again. Verse 11 through 12. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What are the results of the servant's sacrifice on behalf of his people? Well, it is finished. For the exalted servant, he has finished the task. Lives of righteousness and joy. You realize this in our, in our faithfulness, in our gathering together as a body, is in our walking out the good works he's prepared us to do. We don't add to what Christ has accomplished in his righteousness. We receive the righteousness our iniquity, our transgression was placed upon Him and we are now righteous and called to walk out the righteous lives He calls us to live. That's good news. That is good news. It doesn't come down to me to, to carry Christ over the finish line. That should be good news for all of us. This received righteousness we have in Christ, it is finished. He, what is finished? What is finished when the Lord makes that declaration? He came on mission. He did everything He came to do on the earth. He fulfilled all righteousness, all the demands of the Scriptures. And He gave up His last breath. Bodily, He died as a human being dies. Just as our souls did not die, His soul did not die. In divinity, the Lord did not die. Divinity cannot die. But bodily, he tasted the fullness of death. For us, the coming of the great justifying servant, he finished well. What do we long to hear? What does is, what is every believer long to hear? Parents, this should be what we long for our children to hear. This should be what we long to hear more than anything imaginable. Well done, my Good and faithful servant. Listen, that can be said of us because of who? Because of the servant. The servant ran well, perfectly, holy, purity. And he bore our sins on his body on the tree. You are forgiven and justified before God. You are made holy and pure believer in Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's the best news. It 
It is a blessing to be a part of a multi-generational body. Let me give you two big reasons why that is. Now, we're not all promised to live a full age of years. We know that. You know that. But for those of us that are younger, we're able to watch those of you that are older persevere through aches and pains and to continue to love the Lord, to share the Gospel, to sing with joy, to serve, to pour out your lives. You model for us what that is to look like for us should the Lord give us decades ahead. That is a gift to edify the body, those that are younger, those of you, so those of us that are married or younger or desire to be married, those of you that are older and married and, and walking out your faith, this, there's a joy of faithfulness that's modeled for us. And they're in those that are widowed. Reality is, everyone that's married, probably both are not going to pass at the same time. And so we get to see what it is to see a widow persevere and rest in the Lord and grieve in the Lord and move forward in the Lord. That edifies your body, your church family in ways you do not understand. And those that get sick and get cancer and battle for their days, there is an enduring blessing to the body as you rest in the great justifying King for however many days He gives you left, there is a blessing that comes to the congregation. And those that are younger, here's the other blessing. Your faithfulness as a younger believer edifies the older believers. You realize One of the things I, I talk about when I get to see some of our, our older members is we'll talk about some of the younger ones, not just the college students, but the younger ones that they see around. And it gives them joy. Because if you just look at the world, there's, not a lot, there's a lot of generational divide. But in Christ, we see the Spirit of God is still moving, He's working, and He's making all things new. And you younger ones, us younger ones, I speak like I'm, I do have a gray patch like right here, so I... But those that are younger realize that the congregation, the body knows, the body watches, the body sees you deal with grief just like a human body that has a, a, a hurt component. The rest of the body becomes aware and likewise aims to make adjustments for it. So too in a local church family, there is that as we aim to rest in the great justifying King, walking our lives of righteousness for the Lord. That's good news. In Jesus Christ, we are made righteous. Have you ever been somewhere and you knew you didn't belong? Perhaps it was at an in-laws for the first time, you felt uncomfortable. And when people said, or maybe it was a party or something, you didn't know anybody there, but somebody brought you. And you might have been asked, who are you here with? Or what are you doing here? A more scary question. And what do you respond? I'm with so-and-so. I'm with so-and-so. That's all you had. You didn't, you didn't show a resume. You said, I'm with so-and-so. And immediately those that were there that were foreign now become family. Their credibility becomes your credibility. And they embrace you and you're welcomed in. Believer, because of the great justifying servant, that's exactly who we are brought into the family because of Jesus Christ, 
sent from above, sent by the Father, who in love and obedience to the Father perfectly did that which was set before Him, enduring to the end, as a lamb led to the slaughter. John the Baptist in the Gospel of John, when we begin that in the new year, looks and identifies Jesus exactly in that way. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. If you know Jesus, you know true hope, true joy, true peace, true love. That's what Christmas is all about. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. You want good news for the holidays? Here it is, verse 12. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. What we see here is a victory parade. He has led us free from captivity to sin. And he has brought us free and He marches over us as victors. We are the spoil that Christ has merited. We are in Christ. The one who lives to make intercession. We are in His parade as the spoil of war. He's our life. Our servant Jesus has intervened for us. He's our hope. He's our purpose. He is our King. And the Scriptures give us a clear message that whatever way we think is the right way, His way is better. As we saw from the first sighting of the servant compared to the idols, the silhouette of the servant, His way is better. He is worthy of glory. He is worthy of delight. He is the one that can truly satisfy he is the righteous Holy One. He is the persevering One. He is the One who will be successful to bring salvation to the nations. He's worthy of our lives. The One that came in the manger would be nailed to the tree. He would defeat the grave. He would ascend to heaven and He will come again. That's what we're going to celebrate, the Lord's Supper on Christmas Eve together at 4 o'clock. The Lord's Supper is we remember the one who came and took on flesh and dwelt among us. He came in a manger, but he did not stay in a manger. We look forward to his coming again. I can't wait. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Next steps. Two questions for our next steps portion. Number one. If I have pledged my allegiance to this servant, what does this servant song stir within me? We talk about love, oftentimes, it's Advent season, love, joy, hope, and peace. Which of those four does this text, the suffering servant, or all of these servant texts, and your life, which of those four stirs up the waters of your soul most ferociously this morning? Love, Joy, peace, or hope? And why? It's a great discussion question to have with somebody in the day ahead. Number two, would you commit to asking the Spirit to burden you in our church body with a growing longing to see others come to know this servant? To see someone that does not know Jesus come to know Jesus. To know the one that's worth their life. Would you commit to making this a consistent component of your prayer life? 
Lord, would you give me boldness and wisdom and courage to share you with others? And would you, by your glory and for your glory, bring others to come to know you, to know the Lamb who came to take away the sin of the world? What joy has come into the world? What joy? Love, joy, hope, and peace are ours in the servant. Would you stand with me as we sing exactly that?